I'm Spencer. And I'm Andrew, and you're listening to the At A Distance podcast from The Slowdown. Today we'll be speaking with Lily Chopra, the Executive Director of Artistic Programs at the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council. In her current role, Lily oversees a residency program, as well as the LMCC's various public programs, including the annual River to River Festival and the Arts Center at Governor's Island. Prior to the LMCC, Lily was the Executive Vice President and Artistic Director of the French Institute Alliance Francaise. As someone who has spent her entire career identifying the artists that we need to hear from, Lily has a rare perspective on the healing and connective power of art. Let's get her on the line. Hi, Lily. Welcome to At A Distance. It's so great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Andrew. So I want to start a bit about kind of recapping the last year. I was curious from your perspective, if you could give us kind of an overview of the impact that COVID-19 had on New York City's cultural sector and sort of what we went through in New York culturally. Well, it was pretty traumatic in so many different regards, you know, from being used to being so incredibly active and being with one another and um, being able to support for us at LMCC, you know, the work of independent artists to a complete stop and what it meant to an ecology that is really fragile. And so what it showed us is once again um, how resilient artists are, the community is, how it also allowed us to um, be much more introspective around the ways of moving forward. How do we need to continue to evolve and transform our institution to meet the moment? And how to continue nurture, support the creation of work. And so I think that it's really been not so much an opportunity, but it obliged us all to really actually slow down, stop, reflect and think about how do we move forward from this place. And with all of that, you know, clearly um, addressing collective trauma and individual traumas, creating space for anger, creating space for dialogue, creating space for healing. And so I don't know if we're yet in this kind of post-pandemic world um, or we're still taking uh, account of how we continue and, and how do we collectively and individually uh, move forward from this place. Hmm. And you had mentioned healing and sort of addressing some of the harsh realities that are in front of us. How did you see art play a role in that through 2020? I tend to go straight into the healing. You know, like I tend to want to address an issue and, and find ways of how do we heal from a situation Um, But what I think I learned from the actual pandemic and and this time is create space for whatever arises, and it may be anger and it may be other feelings than just directly going into the healing. And so we at LMCC during the pandemic created this kind of weekly care package of, you know, projects that artists were doing as a way of actually healing as a way, and which I thought was really important and had great positive impact in the ways in which we were also amplifying the work that artists were doing to heal the community, to heal one another, and so on and so forth. But I think that before the healing, there's also a lot that needs to happen in terms of, again, like the dialogue, the evolution, the transformation, 
being able to create a space for emotions that may arise before we can really heal. Mm. And so that's for me been about also, you know, kind of uh, learning to slow down, learning to listen and not going directly into the action of trying to find a solution, um, but more understand the complexity of the situations. Mm, and create the space for people to respond to it. It's exactly right. In general, how are you thinking about this relationship between the physical and the digital or, or, or non-physical art, particularly after a year or so with all of us in lockdown? Yeah, Spencer, it's, you know, I come from the world of the performing arts and I come from the world of dance. So really embodied experience. And I spent the past few decades going out five times a week and seeing shows and, and I can say from kind of almost like a cellular perspective, how transformative the live and embodied experience is. Mm. And so for me, the, the digital aspect has allowed us to obviously reach out to potentially a much broader community and an audience for works that would be seen in a much more intimate context and and how artists have pivoted to creating more video works and, and talking about their work and, and creating these um, new ways of interacting, which can be beneficial in, in many different ways. And But I'm still very much <laughs> wedded to the uh, actual physical experience. And I think that people are very much looking forward to being together again and started to do so. And for sure, no one will ever take it for granted anymore, you know. So I think that there has been, with the virtual world, something new that came that I thought was very exciting, more around equanimity of who has access. And in the past, you know, it would be so expensive to bring artists uh, like to New York and Visa and mm -hmm. traveling and so on and so forth. And then suddenly there was much more of an equitable access to, to the work, to the presentation, um, to sharing ideas and processes which I felt that aspect was also interesting. And then questions of ecology and sustainability, both for the planet, but also for artists, you know, um, pre-pandemic, there was a little bit of an exhaustion from mm -hmm. artists, many of them, you know, traveling the world in order to make a living. And, you know, and I feel like there's now an opportunity to, to do both, like being much more local, work much more in depth with community, with the audience, um, so for that physical experience to continue, but then that could be this additional aspect of the digital world that could really expand the experience um, beyond the stage. So I know that a lot of artists and institutions are looking at these um, new opportunities, but it is a different experience for sure, the virtual versus the, the physical. Mm -hmm. What does a reopening look like for the cultural community? the community you're focused on and, and also just, you know, in terms of live events, festivals, what is that going to look like over the next few months or year? Yeah. I mean, it's starting, you know, at LMCC, we're in a sense, very lucky that we do our uh, festivals and programming very site specifically and mostly outdoors. And so there's a lot of festivals already and, and different initiatives that have started with the city, with the state around presentations um, that are safe, that are mostly outdoors. And so that started to happen in addition to working towards the reopening of the theaters and, and under protocols that keeps on evolving in a positive way, given that the situation is getting better and better in New York. 
there's this great sense and excitement and, and the joyful element of coming back together uh, mixed also with you know the trauma of not having been with one another for a very long time and what does it feel like even emotionally to be sitting you know in a mm. in a theater all together again and and so I think that the approach is both joyful and also making sure that every uh, step are being you know carefully considered so it's a positive experience for everybody. Mm. Have you seen a show yet live? Have you had that experience? <laughs> not yet, not yet. I can't wait, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, this is really uh, what drives my world. And that's going to come up soon, actually, because we have a festival opening next week. Well, I was just going to say, you, you about a month ago, you announced the lineup for the River to River Festival, which, which has this great history. So actually, before we get into what we're going to look for this year, what is the history of the festival for people that don't know? And what was it born out of? And what is it really about? Yeah, so River to River was created as a response to um, 9-11, a year after the attack happened in a World Trade Center. And so it was really a festival that was created with great institutions of lower Manhattan as a way of bringing back New Yorkers into this traumatized area of the city. And as we know, and, and we were talking about healing and how mm -hmm. artists have that capacity to bring people together and, and to heal. Um, so that's really that you know, DNA of the festival is around resilience. It's about celebration of New Yorkers. It's about healing. And so that's very much the ways in which the festival came about 20 years ago. And it was created mostly outdoors. It's always been free and open to all. And that's something that uh, was very important to maintain when LMCC became the main producer of the festival. And because of its history and because of its DNA, you know, when last year in the spring and everything shut down, everything was getting canceled, we felt very strongly that we needed to maintain the festival because of that, because of the fact that it was about resilience, because it was about continuing and, and this notion of keep going, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we completely transformed the ways uh, we had envisioned it to have four main projects happening in, in public spaces this year, it's its 20th edition, and so it's very much a line and a continuation of its history around artists that we're supporting, and we've been supported for some of them, you know, year-round or over a long period of time, and that's the moment of presentation that is very um, site-specific for many of these works and in partnership with uh, key institutions from lower Manhattan. What are you most excited about this that's coming up? I mean, I'm sure you're excited about all of it. You're the artistic director. You put it all together. But but what are some of the, the things that we should be thinking about when, when looking at, uh, at visiting? Yeah, I feel very much like the mother and choose your favorite child. First of all, I have to say I co-curated the festival with Nanette Nelms. Um, so it's the second edition that we're doing together. And it's been a great pleasure working with Nanette who was a former dancer, she's a film producer, and has such a great take on the cultural landscape. And, and so with Nanette, we started talking a while back with Esperanza Spalding to creating an homage to Wayne Shorter. And Arthur Jaffa mm. came into the conversation to direct a beautiful uh, short film on Wayne. And, and so we're opening the festival with a concert that is an homage to, to Wayne. And that feels really important in terms of 
the moment in terms of this continued conversations and, and what's ahead with Esperanza and, and Wayne creating an opera together. Um, he's a legend and there's something very powerful about uh, having a chance to honor him in this way for the opening with such great artists giving him homage. And Esperanza talking about healing, we were very much in conversation throughout the pandemic. And as you may know, she had just released a number of songs that are about healing and a continuation from her previous album. And so she's developing a project called The Apothecary Song, um, which we will be presenting at the Clemente. And it's really about the power of music on emotions mm. and how to transform emotions and heal really through the power of music. And so she's done in extensive research on this aspect over the years. So we're very excited to experiment in that space uh, with Esperanza and, and her musicians. And then, you know, like with River to River, we've been very much championing the work of independent uh, choreographers for a very long time. And where we commission new work, where we offer residencies, our, our new art center on Governor's Island, and then River to River is a great moment of presentation um, to the public. And so in that vein, we've been supporting and, and are excited to be presenting uh, Mariana Valencia, uh, Maria Hassabi, Nora Shipumere. We're also creating a series of processions in Battery Park with Okuyok Pokwasili and Miguel Gutierrez and Monsta Black. And so these are great artists that we feel very excited to be presenting their work. And then works that, you know, we've been over the years championing and an and artist like Kamau Ware with a Black Gotham experience. Um, Kamau's been in working out of the seaport and lower Manhattan for a number of years and really digging the history, the Black history of Manhattan that has been forgotten. And so mm. it's quite extraordinary the work that Kamau's been doing over the years and, and getting the recognition of portions of Lower Manhattan that used to be called the Land of the Blacks and what does it mean in today's world and organizing visits and site visit of the neighborhood uh, with this history that has been forgotten and that needs to really be unearthed. So there's in a number of the, the projects that we're presenting within the context of River to River, we draw on the history, um, bringing it to the present and also the celebration into the future. So it goes back a little bit around your initial question, where are we at and how are we moving forward? And so with the festival, there's a little bit of that sense of going back to some of our roots, taking moments for reflecting, and then also that notion of celebration and joyfulness as we want to move forward. And it seems like you're touching on themes of improvisation. I mean, using Wayne Shorter at a moment when the city needs to improvise, the city needs to change, the city needs to respond to the present. Yeah, and I think that's the great joy of being a New Yorker, right? Like there's that sentiment, and, and I've seen it over and over again, you know, having lived through 9-11 and then having lived through the financial crash and then the storms. And there's all, like New York is mm. always at the center of so much, right? And so... <laughs> And positive or negative, and but this kind of collective way of dealing with situations and then improvising, as you're saying, and because it's such a creative and an artistic city, and then not so much moving on, but finding ways of moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that notion and, and the resilience, however challenging it may be, economically or otherwise, to continue living in the city, creating in the city, showing the city, and but there's this great uh, sense of a community of and yeah and resilience from the artistic community. 
Another of your projects, which you mentioned, is the Arts Center at Governor's Island. And I was wondering if you could speak about this project and the exhibitions you're doing there this year, but also just more generally, do you view Governor's Island as an extension of Lower Manhattan in a way? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it came about... LMCC was one of the first tenants uh, on Governor's Island under division of uh, previous presidents of LMCC and Sam Miller, who who was this great hero of many. And um, and so LMCC started having a portion of the space that we're currently occupying to have artists in residencies. And I don't know if it's a continuation of Lorman and it certainly is geographically. But there's something quite uh, magical about Governor's Island. It's this incredible sanctuary. And there was a great sense from LMCC to take the opportunity of occupying a portion of the space from, from the island to really create and extend the work we were doing uh, for artists in residency into that sanctuary. Mm. And so it made sense for us geographically. It made sense for us in terms of our mission and, and, and the values and the work that we're um, intending to do for artists. And so from that place of having residency spaces at the art center for about 10 years, then there was a decision from the board to actually renovate the entire building and open it up to the public uh, with larger exhibition spaces. And so we now have 40,000 square feet overlooking Manhattan, so overlooking lower Manhattan, which is completely magical for artists to be working out of year round, even though the island is only open to the public six months out of the year at the moment. And then to be able to uh, open our doors to the to the public when the island is open with exhibitions. Mm. And so there's something, the reason why I'm saying there's something quite magical is because the journey is a very short one. You know, it's only mm-hmm. eight minutes from the tip of the island. But yet when you enter the, the island, because there's no cars, because it's been so beautifully designed and these gorgeous parks and beautiful landscapes and buildings, um, you really enter a different world. And so we were keen to create a program for the Art Center at Governor's Island that kind of amplifies and continues from that immediate context that is the island. And so we were keen to invite artists to look at questions of ecology, questions of sustainability. And so that's how um, the public programs is also framed and how we are choosing um, the artists that are coming in residencies of all disciplines. And so we are reopening to the public next week as well. And with the exhibitions of Meg Webster, of Onya Dukachuke, and an interactive installation of Muna Malik. And so these uh, exhibitions will be on view until the end of October. And so we were looking at these uh, works, same with these lenses around questions of sustainability and, and whether it be on system and ecology with Meg Webster or societies and systems with Onya Dukachuke. Um, something that I think is very compelling with the art center is because artists are working there year round. There's something about the creative process and opening the public to the creative process that feels very exciting to us. Um, so how do we move from and shift from this kind of passive experience of the work into being more an active one mm. and opening our doors also to the artist studios and so on and so forth. So there's a great desire of creating a little bit of a bridge between, you know, the, the, the process, the artistic process, and, and then the more formal public presentations. Mm. 
It's hard not to think about Lower Manhattan without kind of putting the World Trade Center site at the middle of it. And I was wondering, how do you think about this site in terms of the work you do and just cultural engagement generally? Yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, when you walk on the site and there's so many different aspects of it, right, between the the Oculus and, and the fountains and the memorials and the museum and, and what it represents and in the contemporary history. And so it goes back again to, for us, as we are in organization that is about supporting artists and bringing them to the public space it is incredibly site specific and then artists would want to be part of that you know architecture and history and and some of the works that artists are developing are incredibly powerful for that space and the world trade center and and what it represents and so it's really about having um, these conversations and, and seeing how do we extend, expand, amplify, and connect. It's going to be the 20th anniversary in September. Eiko Take, who's this extraordinary choreographer, um, she was in residency in the World Trade Center because LMCC, I don't know if you know, but was actually in the World Trade Center when the attacks happened. And so the mm, organization... Wow. Um, lost, you know, all its archives, and Michael Richards perished uh, in the attacks. One of the artists who was in residencies, and so we had, we have a very kind of deep relationship with the site. Mm. Uh, and LMCC was very much part of the revitalization after 9/11 occurred in the neighborhood, and and so many artists that were still very connected with uh, had been in residencies and and have incredible memories of their time there. And so Echo is one of them. And so there are these beautiful photographs of her and, and, and Koma, her partner, where they used to perform together in front of the World Trade Center and, and so many memories and films and photographs. And so she'll be presenting a very special performance for the anniversary mm -hmm. of 9-11. So it needs to be very carefully curated, I would think, and, you know, as part of being in, in that particular location and space. Mm. In addition to the 9-11 Memorial Museum, there's also the Irish Hunger Memorial, the New York City Police Memorial, the American Merchant Mariners Memorial, the African Burial Ground National Monument. I don't think people realize all of these are in Lower Manhattan. Um, could, could you speak more broadly to the role of memorials and monuments and how you hope to engage with those kinds of sites or even working in collaboration with artists creating some of your own? Yeah, I mean, this year, the African Burial Ground, we are organizing actually a walk that Kamau Ware is developing. So I mentioned his work as an artist, as a historian in the neighborhood. And so we'll have a chance to really learn more about the site uh, with Kamau and Liam Rutney, who's been um, the architect uh, mm -hmm. for the memorial. And so this is one way um, by which we are uh, really looking at this year, this particular memorial. I would say that, you know, over the years, there's been a number of projects. And, and again, like the ways in which we are developing and curating the festival is with the artists. So in the artists that we're interested in working with, in, in commissioning and um, supporting the development of the work, it comes from them. And so where then the work gets cited varies. There's not been so much 
you know, commission specific to a site for artists, but the sites might inspire artists to come to us and propose mm. projects. And so that's something that is really important to us, even when there are kind of overarching themes from festivals at time, that um, we are really starting from a place of that conversation with artists and seeing what it is that they're interested in developing for the time we're in, for the kind of location that we are uh, presenting the work, but not necessarily commissioning to a specific site. So we're a couple of weeks away from our mayoral election and, you know, we're looking at a number of candidates. And this, of course, brings up conversations about how we fund our institutions and, and how we think about our city. And New York artists are often so on the margin. They sort of exist in this place largely in, in poverty, basically, uh, unfortunately, um, a large portion of them. But they drive so much of what the city, of what makes the city attractive for tourism and basically what makes the city. Why is there this huge disconnect of kind of what drives our city, but what we don't support? And, you know, being in a cultural institution and, and in your position, I'm sure you have a very unique perspective on some of the issues that happen here. Yeah, it's the city and it's the country. And when you're looking at the NEA budget and when, you, you know, like it's just uh, there's this great divide between the for-profit and the non-for-profit world. And, and how do we value the arts and what do we find to be essential and or not? And, and so that's an ongoing battle, you know, and I think that when one is dedicated to working in the arts and in the nonprofit world, that's, that's the conversation. And it's a conversation alongside education and it's the conversation about the role and the importance of the arts in our life and, and supporting artists and supporting institutions and supporting presentation is essential. And so I think that it is often, you know, a little bit of a battle between the for-profit and the non-for-profit and, and research and development in the arts versus what is profitable and commercial. And so there's a lot there that we need to continue fighting for, but we have great allies. And, and I know that you had you know, Gonzalo Cazal from DCLA not too long ago, and, and he's doing extraordinary work. And, and so there's many, many allies in, in the city to continue supporting in the best possible way, independent artists, institutions, because there's a great recognition of the work that we do. But sometimes, even though you're saying, you know, the economical impact can be there, can be proven, it's still an argument that one needs to continue making where it's not for the privileged and it's not superficial and it's not this added thing to having a good life. It is part of our upbringing, our human condition and existence. It's what makes us human and it's what develops empathy in us, connect us with one another. And so, but, but it is an argument that one needs to continue to make. And, and, you know, some people say that maybe it's because we're actually relatively young. I mean, you, you come from France, which has been at the game a lot longer than we have in terms of funding art and making sure that culture is supported. Are you optimistic that as we grow and age as a city, as a country, this will become more relevant in the way that it is in, in older European cities? What I'm very optimistic about is, again, like the fact that one way or another will continue. Mm -hmm we'll get going, you know, one way or another, we'll get, we'll get the work done and artists will continue doing their work and we'll find a way forward, you know? So again, like it goes back to that notion of resilience. Yeah. I come from France and 
coming from France, I arrived in New York and thinking, okay, like it feels very familiar to me. It's, there's not such a great divide, but slowly I realized that one of the main differences was that coming from France and having been educated in France is that there's this almost inherent ways in which you're seeing artists as really moral compass for the society as really important figures of our societies that you would have philosophers you would have writers you would have filmmakers theater makers talk about the political system and and when there's a crisis they're you know invited to all the different programs and they're really important figures in our society and hugely respected and so i grew up with this desire to be you know in service of, in support of, and working in the arts because it felt so important to, and and that's a little bit of that cultural shift coming to New York where the value system is different, right? And it's much more about how successful you are economically and so on and so forth. And so there's a little bit of that shift in terms of how we are as a result supporting the arts and artists or considering the work of artists. And so that took me a little a little bit to fully understand. But having said that, you know, when you in France all the idols are Americans, you know. So it would be it would be a full glass <laughs> and it would be Cunningham and it would be, you know, right. in the eighties in France. Like you would look up to New York. Yeah. And sometimes a little bit vice versa in terms of uh, the imports and French cinema in New York and so on and so forth. So there's yeah. always been this very interesting relationship between Paris and New York, but the ecology of support is vastly different, but somehow we always make it happen in New York. There's always mm-hmm. a way of moving forward. But I'm not certain that we will move into a shift of really funding. Like, yeah, I haven't seen it in the past, so I don't know if it's yeah. in the cards. But it doesn't mean that we can't find a way forward. Maybe there's, as you say, ways to do it. You know, we had uh, Catherine Garcia on uh, last week on the show, and we got into this idea of what do you, what do we do about all the vacant storefronts right now? And the question of should landlords be obligated to use those spaces for cultural expression? And have you thought about that at all with LMCC, about engaging the sort of disused spaces right now? It's very much part of our DNA, and that's what LMCC has done almost for its entire existence for 50 years, using vacant retail spaces after 9-11, as I mentioned. We're very much part of the revitalization of the neighborhood, and so we had many artists in residencies and many empty vacant uh, retail spaces. Two years ago, we did this beautiful project with Yoko Ono, actually, where we had over 100 um, locations with her work, you know, about dream and remember love and, and so on and so forth. And so that's something that we feel very compelled to do. And the reason is we feel that the ways in which we can work with artists into the social fabric of the city is really important. And so the ways in which we are seeing it is more almost like uh, urban acupuncture. Mm. So looking at the flow of the of the city and how people move and interact and how by placing art and prompts and really can shift the dynamic of mm. the city and, and people living and working in the city. And so that aspect is one that is always very exciting to us to be working in these kind of ways. Um, the challenges are always 
the fact that it is in terms of capacity, in terms of redefining uh, a great number of spaces and, and talking with property owners and not necessarily knowing how long we can have the spaces for and so on and so forth. So there's always kind of a, a little bit of a complexity. It's not so straightforward, but mm. definitely uh, important to continue to work in these ways. It would be great if the city formalized it, you know, the tax if you're not <laughs> yeah. doing that. Or, yeah. So we'll see what happens when, uh, when the administration changes, I guess. Yeah. I'm curious where you see the lines between an art institution and the street. I mean, it's sort of connected to this conversation in the sense that what one might see behind a building is different than one one might experience on a street. Where do you see the sort of porous area between the two? And I guess long-term, could you talk about your vision for the Cultural Council, how you hope to sort of bridge those divides and, and bring art more and more into the public realm? Context is everything. For me, the, the compass is always starting with the artists and where they are at and the kind of context that they need to be developing the work and then presenting it. And so at times there's going to be projects that are just perfect for the street and, and with everything that you know comes with it in terms of the unpredictability, the weather, the noise, the time, the people, the, you know. Uh, who gets to see it, who's an intended audience, who's a passerby, and so on and so forth. Like it takes a, a way of thinking about the work very differently than, I'm going to state the obvious, but in being you know, in a black box theater and, and where everything is very much controlled from the sound to the light to who comes and the audience and everything is much more curated. I think that the work, and that goes back again to the opportunity of the time we live in, is about... Uh, bringing down the barriers, right? So it's really about um, making sure that we continue communicating around the importance of the work of art and the ways in which people should feel like this is for them. You know, like there's that notion of how are we building an audience? How are we responding to community needs? Um, how are we presenting the work so it is accessible, so it is available? So mm. there's a lot of conversation that I think are important to happen now. And then there's also all the virtual world, right, like that you mentioned in the beginning. So it is about the stage, it is about institutions, it is about the street, it is about the public spaces, but it is also about the virtual world. And so how do we combine all these opportunities to really create change, um, because at the end of the day, that's what it is all about. And mm. so for me, the LMCC as, as an arts council is really about that. It's about creating positive change by supporting artists and artists working in communities um, with very specific needs, supporting artists in their creative process and, and how are they being presented, uh, continuing to nurture uh, at every level, you know, the from the Sukasa program for senior centers to creative learning to creating up engagement, all our regranting program, uh, all the residencies that we're organizing for artists, and then the moments of presentation. So I feel like LMCC is uniquely positioned to really support in this kind of 360 degrees ways artists and then the presentations within the communities. It's an important aspect of imagining the future and rebuilding a society more equitable. Indeed, it's about, you know, the, the recognition of the role artists play in our society, mm. whether then it can be directly connected with increased funding, which we're hopeful for. Um, but also just to say like this, this is such an important aspect of, again, like our 
human condition of us uh, living in a city like New York and the ways in which we um, evolve together and continue to transform and create positive changes. As we emerge from this, whenever that may be, three months from now, a year from now, fully emerge from it, when things are not in some level of crisis, what's your greatest hope for New York, for, for society at large? I think it taught us to, to slow down, right? Like there's something about that moment of slowing down and listening and connecting with one another in a different way, right? I think there's something very exciting about the pace of New York City and, and how fast things go and so on. But there's also a limit to that, or, or that could be going with moments of reflection and really care. I think at the end of the day, we need to care for one another. We need to care for our planet, or else there's no future. Like, literally, there's no future, right? So even if in a few months or a few years, we, you know, out of this pandemic, we're not out of the woods, right? Like, there's great challenges ahead of us. And so mm-hmm. there is... I think a desire that many are feeling that it can't go back to normal because normal before was not a way forward. And so we need to really reinvent the ways in which we are operating within our systems. And that comes from, um, I think, slowing down so we can really listen to one another and, and work better all together towards a more just, equitable and sustainable future. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Pleasure talking with you, Andrew and Spencer. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of At A Distance, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can follow us on Instagram at slowdown.tv. To sign up for our weekly newsletter, Exploring the Five Senses, head to our website at www.slowdown.tv. 